John chapter 20, verse number 1. <laughs> John chapter 20, verse number 1. It says, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and he believed. But they still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. I want to talk from this subject in our time together, and uh, I just want to know, does anybody know how to talk back to the preacher on, uh, I know I got one with Donna over here, I, I know I got one with Rasha right there, and I know my Change Global family got me, it's Easter, and I know you got on your Easter something. <laughs> I want to talk from this subject, it's just a detour. It's, it's, just, it's just a detour. Ladies and gentlemen, all over the world, this weekend, persons are gathered in a plethora of places. They're, they're in cathedrals. They're in community centers. They're in churches. They're in cars. They're in homes. Pausing for the cause of celebrating the most significant event in human history, the resurrection of Jesus. And whereas many assume that this resurrection is a religious myth, those of us who have had an authentic and unique experience with him recognize it's more than a religious myth. It's actually a historical fact. Jesus got up. <laughs> the bones of dinosaurs have been discovered. The remains of mummified pharaohs have been found. Dead sea scrolls have been recovered. But the body of Jesus is still nowhere to be seen. Critics have looked for them. Atheists have searched for them. Haters have tried to find them. <laughs> but after years of seeking and searching, they have ended up being unsuccessful, unable to locate any indication of the remains of Jesus. And what they don't know is that they can look until Jesus comes back a second time. And they will not find them because he is not there. Did you hear what I just said? I said he is not there. Therefore, it is essential and important 
every year around this time that we become intentional about expressing our appreciation, watch this, that he got up. This is gospel. This is good news. Yeah, the resurrection itself isn't gospel for us. That's gospel or good news for Jesus. But the implications of the resurrection, that's gospel for us. Jesus getting up, that's good for him. When I know what it means, that's good for me. And I came to tell somebody on this Resurrection Sunday morning that Jesus didn't just get up so that he could get up. Jesus got up as a picture of possibility for you. He didn't just get up to be your savior. He got up to be your example. He said, I want to show you not just what's possible with me. I'm trying to show you what's possible for you. Did you hear what I just said? I said, Jesus is saying, I'm not just trying to show you what I can do. I'm giving you access and exposure to this because I'm trying to show you what you can do. And I want us to start reading the Bible and looking at the works of Jesus and not just being inspired by what he can do, but we need to be educated in what we can do. You might not be in a literal tomb, but there are some things in your life that are in metaphorical tombs. Maybe your joy is dead. Maybe your peace is dead. Maybe there's a relationship is, that's dead. Maybe your dreams is dead. Maybe your timeline is dead. Maybe you thought you'd be at a different place, in a different space, in this season of your life. I came to tell somebody that just like Jesus walked out of his tomb, this is your time, this is your season to walk out of yours because he can bring those dead things back to life. It's one thing to understand the act of the resurrection. It's another thing to understand the implications it's one thing to know that it happened. It's another thing to know what it means. Him getting up means you can get up. This isn't just religious rhetoric. This isn't just church talk. You saw the sign when you walked in here. This is a no-cap community. You, yeah, no, no, no. The Bible says, this is what Paul says, the same spirit. Is that the book that raised Jesus from the dead lives on the inside of you? Resurrection is not a season. Resurrection is a spirit. It's in you. So you don't have to wait until Easter Sunday every year to experience some resurrections. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Wherever I am, resurrection is possible. You don't have to wait till Sunday. You can get one on Monday. You don't have to wait till Monday. You can get one on Tuesday. You can wake up at 9 o'clock on a Saturday night and say, I'm getting up. And the spirit that's on the inside of you will empower and enable. I need somebody to just confess that over your life right now. I'm getting ready to get up. I'm getting ready to get up because the spirit lives on the inside of me and I say I'm getting ready to get up.
See, see, here it is. Here it is. Some of us, some of us don't understand that green means you can't, a green light means you can go. But it doesn't mean you automatically move. Somebody put, somebody, somebody talk back to me in the chat because I, I said, some of you need to understand, don't miss the metaphor. Jesus preached in parables. Meta, so don't miss the metaphor. A green light means you can go. It means you have permission to go. It means you're authorized to go. But it doesn't mean you automatically move. You have to make a decision. Once you got the green light to press the gas. I don't know if anybody wants to have church on this resurrection Sunday morning, but I'm telling you, you got the green light and it's time for you to press the gas. Somebody shout back at the preacher and say, all gas, no brakes. All gas, no brakes. It's my season. I've been pumping the brakes long enough. I've been fixing to, getting ready to, about to, going to long enough. When God give me the green light, I'm on the gas. The resurrection is a picture of possibility. For us, Jesus is not just trying to show us what he can do. He's trying to show us what we can. Am I making sense? So this is why the resurrection is gospel. This is why it's, it's good news. This is why it's worth and worthy of celebration. Does that make sense? This is why we unashamedly express our enthusiasm. It, it is worthy of our celebration. But what I want to argue today is the resurrection should not just be a time, listen to this, a celebration. It should also be a time of education. Got me? God's not just trying to motivate us. He's trying to minister to us. He's trying to teach us something. He's trying to show us something. He wants us to learn a lesson from yesterday that will help us in our tomorrow. And today I want to use the resurrection as an opportunity to deliver some education on how to manage something that is inevitable, uncomfortable, and agitating, and it's something called detours. I said the resurrection is an opportunity for us to receive education on how to manage detours. Somebody say detours. What do you mean, Pastor Darius? God will get you exactly to the place he's ordained to get you to, but he will rarely take the route you expect him to use. Did you hear what I just said? 
I said God will take you to the place he's preordained to get you to, but he will rarely take the route and the road that you anticipate. So whichever way you think it's going to happen is not going to be the way that it's going to happen because you cannot have a conversation about destiny without having a conversation about detours. Det Come on here. Detours are not in the way of your destiny. Detours are the only way to your destiny. Dr. Darris, when, when you say detour, when you say detour, Dr. Darris, what do you mean? Here it is. Here it is. Detours are an unexpected. Somebody say, uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh, an unexpected interruption of one route that redirects you to another one. It's an unexpected interruption of one route that redirects you to another. These are interruptions. And I'm trying to see if it's changed global if it's changed you, I just want to see where the honest people are who will admit that although you know he works everything together for good, although you know everything happened for a reason, although you, where's my honest people? Although you know he's too wise to make mistakes, although you know that these interruptions can still be extremely agitated and just because you don't express your agitation doesn't mean you don't feel agitated see when we're dealing with people we just feel more comfortable expressing that agitation let somebody call your name too much what I'm going to this side because y'all litty this morning I said, let somebody keep calling your name too much. you like, what do you want? Some of you do it with the phone. <sighs> now, why they keep calling me? I told them to text me. Don't just be calling me random. <laughs> don't just FaceTime me. You don't know what I'm doing. Text me first. I should have had an 11.30 service today because I don't, because I would have really went there, but I'm going to leave that alone. <laughs> but these interruptions can be agitating, right? You're like, God, I know you're doing something. But I don't understand it. And it is uncomfortable. And God, I feel irritable. I feel a bit agitated. I've been in this tomb three days. How much longer? Here it is. But these interruptions, family, are agitating because of our assumptions. Because we're assuming that my detour is delaying me from getting to my destination. And I'm here to tell you, your detour is not costing you time. 
I got seven, it's a packed house and I got 17 claps right there. And I understand. I understand why I got 17 claps. Because some of you in this room online, you wait for me to clarify. Right? That's why you like, okay, I'm going to give you a minute. I'm going to give you a minute, PD, to make that, make, make it make sense. Because I've been in my car before, taking my normal route somewhere, only to get into an unexpected traffic jam because there's been a detour. So I would have arrived and could have arrived at my desired destination at one time, but I ended up getting there a whole lot later because of this detour. So help me understand what you mean when you say this detour does not cost me time. I said what I meant. I said exactly what I meant. I meant exactly what I said. That's on Mary had a little lamb. Detours do not cost you time. Detours save you time. If you don't think a detour saves you time, the next time you see a detour sign, just keep driving. See how much time that costs you when you run your car into some asphalt. See how much time that costs you when you run your car into a tree that's blocking the road. See how much time that costs you. Whenever God takes you on a detour, he's taking you around a greater disaster. So instead of complaining about the detour, start praising during the detour because the detour is working in my favor. Boy, I feel something getting ready to break out in this room. I said it's working in your favor. I said it's working in your favor. Every delay working in your favor. Every interruption working in your favor. Every setback working in your favor. Every disappointment working in your favor. Say, if you think you were late to work because of the detour, how late would you be if there wasn't a detour? <laughs> am I making sense here? I said, am I making sense here? And I want to tell somebody, uh, this is prophetic right here, I want to tell somebody and biblical prophetic ministry, and I know sometimes the prophetic gets extreme, and when it's extreme and not grounded in, in, in proper biblical exegesis, uh, or, or if it's not grounded in exegetical theology, a theology that's formed on the basis of somebody ex, uh, uh, a proper exegesis, the prophetic becomes pathetic. Yeah. But, but, but prophetic ministry properly understood in the context of, the, uh, of, of not just the Old Testament but the New Testament, you'll see it is not just the prediction of the future. It is also the interpretation of the present. Right? You'll see that in the book of Judges with Gideon when, when Israel is in a season of correction uh, and they don't even know it. They just think the Midianites keep oppressing them and they don't know God's removed the hedge. 
Because God's like, at some point, if you won't take my advice, you're telling me you don't need my assistance. Let me, let me see. And I know you don't know people like that. They don't want to take your advice on the front end, but they always want you to bail them out on the back end. God said, okay, you don't want to take my advice. They're in a season of correction. They're calling it bad luck. They're saying things aren't going in my favor. They don't understand why every time they work to produce a harvest, they can't enjoy it because the Midianites come and steal their crops. They're in a season of correction, and they don't even know it. They just think it's coincidence. God's like, no, I'm trying to correct something. He's like, I'm not using the Midianites to correct you. I'm using the Midianites because sometimes trouble is the only thing that gets your attention. <laughs> Y'all going to make me call a spontaneous revival. I feel this thing in my gut. Say, I'm not using trouble. He said, but sometimes trouble, the only way you listen to me. He said, you talk to me more then. He said, we don't talk that much when stuff is straight with you. So. And when we do, you do the talking. You don't do a lot of listening. But when I get you in a season of struggle, you become open and you become more, <laughs> you become more attentive, you become more patient. And God had to send a prophet. To help Israel see, this isn't coincidence, this is correction. So he didn't predict the future. He interpreted the present. He didn't just say this was going to happen then. He said, this is what's actually happening now. So I'm going to make a prophetic declaration over somebody right now that's in the middle of a detour. You still going to get there. Somebody online put some fire in that chat. Somebody in this room make some noise. I said you're still going to get there. See, now if you've been here, you know how to receive a word like that. Somebody open your mouth and say, I received that. I, re I received that. I'm still going to get there. It's taking me longer than I thought, but I'm still going to get there. I cried tears. I didn't expect to cry, but I'm still going to get there. There were some people I thought would get there with me that are no longer with me, but I'm still going to get there. I got three minutes. Can I take them? And the text in John 20 is a powerful picture of what I'm trying to preach about. This text gives us, gives us a, 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 an account of an aspect of the resurrection narrative through the eyes of a gentleman named John. John opens in chapter 20 by involving, uh, the, it, by exposing us to the involvement of two women named Mary. One is Mary, the mother of Jesus. The second is Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene had a questionable reputation. Not because she earned it, but because people are petty. There is nothing in the Bible that speaks specifically to what Mary of Magdalene's vice 
actually was. We know she's from Magdala, which is a city on the southwest portion of Galilee. It was a city notoriously known for prostitution. So because she came from there, some people thought she was involved in that. And she probably walking around like, you don't know me. You don't, you, you can't, you, <laughs> you don't know me. You talking like you knew me. You, you, she, 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 She's a woman that we know some of the religious elite called a sinner because when she gave Jesus an extravagant expression of appreciation in the form of breaking that alabaster box, those that were observing her activity said, if this man, meaning Jesus, were a prophet, then he would know that this woman is a sinner. Jesus, sensing what they are talking about, tells a parable. He says, can I ask y'all a question? They say, sure. He says, so if somebody, I'm paraphrasing, if somebody owes a debt of $7 and then somebody else owes a debt of $7 million and both of their debts get forgiven, who's going to be more grateful? They said the one who has $7 million forgiven. And he says, exactly. He who has been forgiven little loves little. He who has been forgiven much loves much. So what does that do to your ideology that's not based in a healthy theology of hypocrisy? Yeah, because people who don't understand hypocrisy will say Mary Magdalene was a hypocrite. Because how can you be a person that's so imperfect yet so passionate in your praise? But Jesus debunks that myth. He eradicates that ideology. Jesus, in essence, says, I don't know if y'all ready for this. This is not church, this kingdom. Jesus says, she's not a hypocrite because she praising me. She'd be a hypocrite if she didn't. She not praising me because she been good to me. She praising me because I, I been good to her. And is there anybody here that's willing to say, I don't praise God because I've been good to him, but I per Somebody give him a, I don't deserve it, praise. Somebody give him a, you look beyond my faults and you saw my knees, praise. You up in that church, and in front of that screen every Sunday, knowing what we was just doing. Like, that's why I'm in church. That's why I'm in front of this screen. Because if it had not been for the Lord on my side. I'm over my time, but can I have six minutes? I got to go. I'm not going to be late. See, I love that she had this, watch this. She had this, there's this rumor mill, this cloud of a past that seemed to follow her, but it did not alter the way Jesus treated her. He was not swayed or impacted by the opinion of people. 
He said, I'm going to deal with you based on my experience with you, not based on what people have said about you. And the way Jesus engages this woman teaches us something I think is really significant. People that cannot get over your past are not necessary for your future. Somebody put some fire in this chat. I said people who cannot get over your past are not necessary for your future. When God brings restoration of your reputation, he only restores your reputation in the minds of people that matter. So the people who still tripping about what you did and who you used to be are people that God's not going to use to bless you in your future. But the people that have the power to bless you and the people that have the power to open a door for you are the people that God will start working on their heart and he'll restore your reputation in the minds of people that stop trying to convince people to like you who don't need to like you for God to do what he's trying to do in your life. I pray that deliverance sweeps through and emancipation and liberation sweep through this house and God gives you freedom from what you couldn't get reading books, what you couldn't get with a coach, what you couldn't get with therapy. I pray that God gives you deliverance from the opinion of people. I got three minutes. Sit down, please. The text says, text says all the other disciples who supposedly had themselves together deserted Jesus. When it was not popular to be associated with him, Peter denied him. Judas betrayed him. Thomas doubted him. But Mary... You didn't hear what I just said. Mary stayed right there. He was crucified. Jesus was on a Friday, Sunday morning. Mary texts Mary, Jesus' mother. Say, girl, what you doing? You up? She said, yeah. I'm up. She said, have you heard from Peter? She said, no. Hmm. Have you heard from James and John? They didn't call you? Hmm. So Jesus' mama said, what you hung for? Nothing. I'm just, I'm just saying, can I ask you something? <laughs> you don't find it odd that they was all up in Jesus' face, running behind Jesus, on boats with Jesus, eating them fish sandwiches with Jesus, and now all of a sudden, they can't even call you? 
They scared to go down to that grave. Girl, I got a little something in my purse. I'm coming to the house and pick you up. We going to the tomb. We going to the tomb. Because I'm about that life. They scared. I'm not scared. I'm saved, but I'm not soft. We going to this tomb. Don't tell your neighbor, but just scream out loud. <laughs> scream out loud, say, I'm saved, but I'm not soft. The men are afraid. Mary said, girl, I'm coming to pick you up. Let's go. They get, Bible says, I'm going to give you this and I got to get out of here. Bible says, Mark, Mark tells us what they're talking about when they're walking. When Mark tells this story in Mark 16, Mark says, very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? So they walk in, and then they start thinking, wait a minute. The tombs during these days were like caves. So they're not underground. They're caves on top of the ground that would have huge boulders rolled in front of them to prevent grave robbers from going in robbing graves. Does that make sense? So these two women would not be able to move that stone by themselves. But they didn't think about that before they left the house. So by the time they thought about it, they were too far away from where they had left and too close to where they were going to turn back around. They had already committed. Did you hear what I just said? Because if they had thought about the stone before they left the house, they probably would have never left the house. And I want to tell you sometimes God afflicts you with intentional ignorance. He says, I'm not going to let you think about this before you leave the house. Because if you think about this before you leave the house, you're not leaving the house. If you knew everything you were saying yes to, you wouldn't have said yes. So I'm going to make sure you are intentionally ignorant about what is involved with this so that by the time you see what it really is, you've already committed. And, and the reason God uses intentional ignorance is because he uses intentional ignorance to disarm the enemy of the tool of intimidation. He said, because if you think about that before you commit, the enemy is going to use that to intimidate you. Not to pursue something you're ordained to pursue. Because what Mary and Mary did, I like that's the first Mary Mary, huh? Yeah. What 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 the I like that. 
I know Erica and Tina are like Darius. That's we've been saying that forever. All right. I am from I went to Princeton, but I'm still from Mississippi. It take me a minute sometime. Here it is. Here it is, guys. They're walking, talking about a problem that's not even going to exist when they get there. They are worried about something that's not even going to be an issue when they get there. Losing sleep about something that's not even going to be an issue when they get there. Stressed about something that's not even going to be an issue when they get there. Don't miss this because while they were walking, God was working. And I don't know what the answer to your dilemma is. But I do know in the meantime, your word is keep walking. But what am I going to do? Keep walking. But how is it going to work out? Keep walking. But I don't have enough to keep walking. But they won't help me do this. Keep walking. Because the Bible said, I got to go. That. <laughs> that they had assigned Roman soldiers to stand guard outside the grave because they had heard rumblings of Jesus saying he was going to experience a resurrection. So they said, let's put Roman soldiers there so that if the disciples try to come and steal the body to corroborate Jesus' claim, they won't be able to do so. But the Bible says all those soldiers went to sleep. And while they went to sleep, God sent an angel, which represents unexpected, invisible assistance to roll the stone away while they were asleep. The stone was blocking access. And God made the people who were blocking access lose consciousness. So that by the time they woke up, it was too late because access had already been granted. Let me help somebody right here. God can cause some people to lose their consciousness. And by the time they come back to themselves, they already bless you. He'll make people who don't like you lose their sense of logic for one day. And by the time they come back to themselves, you already promoted me now. You already gave me a yes now. You ain't got to like me now. The stone has been rolled away. Tario, get on this. I'm, we got to go. So Mary and Martha get to the tomb. They look in. They don't see the body of Jesus. The soldiers see that the body is gone, so they're afraid of death, so they flee. Because they realize this mistake is going to cost us our life. We out of here. They think the, I'm done. They think the body of Jesus has been stolen. So they run to try to tell Peter and John. They tell Peter and John, the body's gone. Peter and John run to the tomb. John get there first, but he a little scared. That's the text. 
text said, John, get that first. He look in there. <laughs> John said, I'm just, I still ain't, I, I ain't quite comfortable. <laughs> Peter runs right in the tomb. And when Peter gets in the tomb, he sees the linen that they were wrapped the body in. He sees the linen that was used to wrap the body folded in one part of the cave. He sees the linen that's used to wrap the head folded in another part of the cave. Which means they were taken off in two different places. And whoever took them off took time to fold it. They could have took the linen with them. But they left the linen as evidence that I was here, but I'm not anymore. That I came out of this tomb and I wasn't even rushing. I wasn't even stressing. I didn't run out, I walked out. I folded the linen to let the devil know God's getting ready to give me a stressless victory. And our angel asked him this question, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen just like he said he would. Wait a minute. They're coming to the tomb to anoint the body because in their mind, the tomb was a destination. They expected Jesus to still be there. But Jesus' ultimate destiny is calling. Don't miss this. What in the tomb? It was to be seated on the right hand of the Father. That was his destiny. So what felt like a destination, the tomb, was actually a detour. And I'm telling you, sometimes tomb detours feel like tombs. No electricity in that cave. So it's dark. Sometimes detours feel dark. Nobody in that tomb but him. Because sometimes detours feel lonely. Unless you in there, you can't even empathize. You can't empathize because you don't know what it's like to be there. What do you do when you need to talk to someone, but you're dealing with something you can't talk about? It's a detour. And how you manage it determines whether or not it's a stage of your life or it becomes a state of your life. All the angel could do was roll the stone away. All, all the father, God the father would do was bring Jesus back to life. He had to make a decision. 
to walk out. I'm telling somebody in this room, if he would have settled for that grave, he would have still been in it. I believe God's using this message to stir you not to settle for yours. It's just a detour. Feels like a tomb, but the tomb is the womb that God uses to birth something new in your life. So today, I want you to receive this revelation that your current condition is not your final destination. It's a detour. God says, I'm, I'm still going to get you there. I knew God wanted to use, I felt like God wanted to use my life to help people. And that is literally why, that was literally why I was going to law school. I, I come from a, and I'm an entrepreneur now. Y'all know that. I'm like Paul. I make tents. But I come from an entrepreneurial background. My, my uncle, uh, my, well, uh, he's like my uncle Jimmy Daniels, is a pastor in Chicago. And he, he has a janitorial business. But he had contracts with O'Hara Airport. My mama was a hustler. She sold Avon. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Avon. My, my Uncle Steve, who, who in heaven now, um, owned his own car lot. And so it's just, it's just, just, just in my blood. So I was going to law school, and me and my cousin were going to start our own practice. And, man, we were going to make a difference, and we were going to help people. And then... We were going to use our influence to advance justice causes because that matters greatly to us. And we, we just knew we were going to help people. And all of a sudden, here comes this unexpected interruption. Nah, uh, go to seminary. What? But God's like, are you in love with a role, Darius, or are you in love with your responsibility? Because I can help you carry out that same responsibility in a different role. He said, you're going to help people. You're going you're gonna to argue the law. You're going to work with a judge. You're not just going to argue man's law. You're going to argue God's law. You're not, you're not just going to, you're not going to work with earthly judge. You're going to work with the righteous judge. And when we were in seminary, on welfare, broke, embarrassed, my parents-in-law had to support us. My first son, Seth, being raised on WIC, us being denied food stamps, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, local mission being the place we got our furniture from. Our first Easter dinner was a card table that we bought from Walmart and my wife put tablecloths on it. That tomb felt dark. But it was just a detour. And I don't know who I'm preaching to today. 
But I am telling somebody right now in the midst of a season you do not understand. It's just a detour. And you give God some time. And those of you who have sown in tears, you can ready to reap in joy. It's your season to come out of the tomb. If you receive that, come on, raise your voice, open your mouth, and give your 